Hello, everyone, and welcome back to I've Got a Movie to Watch. My name is Matt. My name is Dakota. And today we are watching Moonrise Kingdom. I loved this movie. This has been my favorite one so far. I think I've told you that at least four times today already. You have. <laughs> I, I definitely had a feeling that you would like this movie at least at a bare minimum like. I yeah. didn't know if you would love it because it does deal... Um, I mean, we've, we've talked in previous episodes. You're main career is therapist mm -hmm. and my side career is doing whatever i want i guess i mean we all have side <laughs> hustles out there but, uh, and I, i've worked with kids for a very long time as have i and there are a lot of themes in this movie that really touch on stuff that we've done in our careers as oh, well yeah. as our lives oh yeah so we can really connect to this movie on a whole nother level and i think that's one of the reasons too why i just loved it so much because like everything was just it was just clicking it gave me all of all of the serotonin. Mm -hmm. And I've always really enjoyed Wes Anderson. Some of his movies less so than others. Like my big three for him are Fantastic Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest, and Moonrise Kingdom. Those are my big three. This is the second Wes Anderson film I've seen. The first being The French Dispatch. Which is not his best. It's it's not. But me being introduced to it, I thought it was okay. Um, I definitely... <laughs> like exponentially like Moonrise Kingdom a lot more. And I think like his cinematography is always on point. Yes, very, like, very great. I love the visuals. Yeah, there there is no doubt in anyone's mind if his visuals are in the cinematography and how he sets up a scene because it's there are a lot of different things and different like phrases that filmmakers use that I could spout out right now, but they just go right They would head. go way over my yeah. head. A fun fact I learned is he uses miniatures a lot. Yeah, he does. Which I think is really cool. That's like old school Hollywood. Mm -hmm. so. And um, that's I think that's where he kind of got the inspiration because he's done two stop motion films. He did Fantastic Mr. Fox and then he did Isle of Dogs, which are both stop motion films, which you don't see a whole lot anymore. Mm -mm. Ardman used to do a lot of them. I don't know how much Ardman's doing. And then... Leica is like the big stop motion company. They did like uh, and then Coraline. Tim, Coraline. And then a lot of like stuff like Tim Burton's involved with a lot of stop motion things too. Yeah. So. Um, he used to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much anymore, but I mean, he would always implement stop motion. Like he implemented like Beetlejuice and stuff. Yeah. There was, I think the most recent stop motion I had seen, and I don't know if it's earlier or later than fantastic mr fox which i think was 2009 it was kubo and the two strings yeah that was like a love is like okay cool yeah very um, good movie too by the yeah. way <laughs> a lot of people compared to like zelda on screen if it was like the closest representation of zelda but not zelda right but coming back to wes anderson yeah. and going from there um so i wanted to do something a little different on this podcast in the past three episodes We've kind of done the plot play-by-plays and then kind of talked about when we get to a plot point where we liked about that mm -hmm. specific scene and going so forth and so on. But we really like played out the plot almost as like for someone that's watching with us or has already seen the movie, here's what we liked about certain scenes and certain mm -hmm. parts of it. Mm -hmm. For this one, I really want to keep it as spoiler minimum as possible. We can talk about certain aspects of the film and not really dig too deep um, to spoil certain scenes and things that happen in the movie. Mm -hmm. But I really want to talk about the themes that go into this movie specifically because I want people to watch this movie. I want them to experience it. And I don't want to do the plot play-by-plays and spoil it for them. Mm -hmm. So I guess we start off with like just a general synopsis of like spoiler free, like what happens in the movie and fun fact in our trailer, you actually did an excellent job summarizing this movie very yeah. well. And so why don't we try to adhere back to that and start from there. And yeah. then, so the basic premise is you have these two kids that feel as though they are deeply in love with each other and Throughout the movie, it starts by introducing the characters. And then you're introduced to this weatherman early on, and he tells you that there's an impending storm coming. And there's a countdown throughout the movie of when the storm is about to hit. And it's this huge hurricane, 
torrential downpour like destroys everything kind of storm. Mm-hmm. And this takes place in the year 1965. Yeah. On a very small island that for the most part transportation to and from the island is by ferry or seaplane. Yeah, or seaplane and there's just not a lot of people. The population's very low. There are no paved roads yeah. like everything is just walk down paths. Yeah. And a big part of the plot that isn't really a spoiler, it's more so just kind of explaining why Wes Anderson picked a location that doesn't have a whole lot of people in it, not a large population on an island that hasn't really been explored too much by the people on it, is because the characters' goals in this movie at first are to explore the island and find a kind of secluded part of the island that they can call their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two characters go off and do that as part of the main part of the plot until about probably two-thirds, maybe halfway through. I'd say, yeah, I'd say two-thirds. Yeah. Um, but there are, I would say, probably like three major parties involved <laughs> in this movie. There's the daughter's family and the daughter. There's the boy who is an orphan, and we'll get into more of the themes behind that later. But there's a boy who's an orphan who primarily spends most of his time with the Boy Scout troop, and the Boy Scout leader is played by Edward Norton, which I always love to see. Yeah, uh, and I don't know, well, it, for it's called Khaki Scouts. Yeah, and I don't you can't, can't call, call it Boy, boy Scouts. Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, it's a Boy Scout troop. Yeah, it's a Boy Scout troop for the most part. But, yeah. Um, and then you have this police officer trying to find both children as they have gone AWOL. Um, so you have the parents looking for the girl, the boy scouts looking for the boy, as well as the police officer trying to find both. And you're kind of drip fed this information throughout the movie of like the boy situation and you kind of find out more of the girl situation. Both these children's mental state and how they found each other and found solace in one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want Dakota to take a deep dive. Ooh, um, get ready. Yeah, because <laughs> she... I can kind of explain things, but she can take a real big deep dive on like the psychology behind it, kind of the themes that are presented to us, and moving forward, like kind of the resolution that we get in the end, if it's a good resolution... Because there are a lot of characters in these in this movie with a whole lot of flaws and problems. Yes. The parents of the daughter are extremely flawed characters. Yes. The Scoutmaster may be a flawed character, but he's probably one of the most morally good characters, I yes. would say. And a lot of that goes with like being a troop leader, and yeah. he takes that very seriously. At one point, and it's not spoiling or anything, at one point the troop is asking him, like, so what's your real job? And yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm a math teacher. And they're like, that's weird. And he's like, no, no, my main job is I'm a scout leader first. I do math teaching on the side. Yeah. And so like, you see like he takes a lot of pride in being this leader, this role model. Yeah. And he feels a lot of remorse throughout the, throughout it because, you know, he's, he is attached to this, this boy character yeah. and feels responsible for his safety. Oh yeah. And you, you get, this idea early on that the scoutmaster doesn't really have a personal life for mm. the most part. He probably isn't married. Um, mm. takes, takes his volunteer. I mean, it's a volunteer job. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get paid to be a scoutmaster. Nobody does. No. And as you were saying, you actually have background with yeah. that too. Yeah. And, um, he takes it so seriously because it actually is a very meaningful thing to do it is a volunteer position but a lot of these kids like the main character in the movie the main boy doesn't have family so he's gonna have to find a male role model somewhere and he i think he ends up finding two really good male role models yes and uh, i'll say this wes anderson likes to use characters well not characters actors uh pretty frequently in all of his movies you see you We'll see Bill Murray a lot in his movies. Mm-hmm. Ed Norton's in a lot of his movies. Um, yeah, Bruce Jason Willis. Schwartzman. Yeah. I think this is Bruce Willis. Well, this is only, only but it, as an identifiable actor. Yes. Yeah. 
And um, I mean, the female, you have Tilda Swinton, you have yeah. Frances McDormand, that are very famous female actors, Oscar winners. Um, he, but he uses very well known. Well, they're well known, but like Bill Murray's in like every <laughs> almost sixty percent of his catalog at least. Yeah, and Ed Norton's also in like a good portion, like him. Jason Schwartzman is in a ton of. He likes to bring back actors that he knows he can work well with. Right, but also Wes Anderson, I would argue, and I think you would agree, is like he has a particular style. Yeah, he has and, a particular yeah. story and how he says the tells the story. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's very like deadpan in some places mm-hmm. and i re- i like that and he wants to keep the same people around because if they know how he works mm-hmm. they're gonna immediately be like okay i'm working with wes he likes it this certain way i can work with that mm-hmm. and some people can't i, I have a feeling probably bruce willis had a hard time yeah. working in that kind of because it is a very like strict thing mm-hmm. there was getting a little sidetracked not really but it's still wes anderson um and fantastic mr fox which was his first completely stop motion film mm-hmm. there was behind the scenes stuff um for that movie where all the actors um it was george clooney's first film with him i think he's done a couple with them after but mm-hmm. like his Bill Murray was involved in all this. So they're working on this film. It's a stop motion film. And he had done the entire like baseline screenwriting portion and like had everything to a T and he walked through the entire film in his backyard with all the actors before they even like, Mm -hmm. he's like, okay, so here's how the characters are moving in stop motion. We're going to go through this like a play. Mm-hmm. So that you can like play off of exactly knowing what the character is doing. Because we're going to get to a point where the audio is recorded, everything's done. Now we're going to do the strenuous task of the stop motion. Mm-hmm. So we wanted the actors to really like focus in on like exactly what the characters were doing. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show like Wes Anderson is very particular about his films. Mm-hmm. And you can tell like this most of his films seem like they're a labor of love oh, to yeah. me, to me, especially this one, which I think was, and I don't know a whole lot of her history behind it. Um, this is a coming of age film oh, yeah. for certain. And I noticed at the end, like the movie was dedicated to a person. Mm-hmm. And so, and I didn't, wasn't able to do much research into that, but you could tell like there was meat, like there's meaning mm-hmm. behind it. And it tackles a lot of tough subjects oh, too. Yeah. And does it very well and very deadpan, like very straightforward. Yeah. That's why I feel like a lot of these themes need to be presented that way. I agree. And one thing I wanted to mention, um, you don't really see law enforcement in a good light nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's only really one police officer involved and he's played by Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. And he is an extremely flawed character. Yes. But this character has nothing but good intentions in mind for the most part. And I think you see, like, in some in some parts, you get to see, like, this humanistic side of, like, where he's wondering, like, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. This is wrong. I feel sad. Like, you see his own kind of personal struggles mm-hmm. and then, like, the moral struggles that have to do with his job and then his, like, personal things that go on in the background and how that ties in. Um yeah, because he's kind of thrown into this love triangle that he does not want to be a part of. Um, but he is a part of it because he has feelings for a character that he knows having feelings for them is wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that he knows that it's wrong and he he has nothing but good intentions for everyone involved. But like he also knows that his feelings are getting in the way of like his moral ambiguity. Yep. Um, and at some point, because of who the love triangle falls with, it starts to affect his job. Yes. Um, but like we said, we don't want to get too far into spoilers because mm-hmm. we want you to experience this film. Yeah. And they're like, we could probably get into some spoiler territory, but I feel like Dakota, this being your first watch, like you pro- did you appreciate it more just going in blind? Yes. 
And like, again, I go back to like the, like in the trailer when you had gave, given a summary of it. And in the last episode where you kind of talk about this is the next one we're going to see. And mm-hmm. you're like, Hey Dakota, you need to get prepared to like feel some feelings like that. And that in of itself was like, okay, I know what I'm going into, but I don't know what I'm going into. Mm-hmm. And so I really got to appreciate the storytelling from a blind aspect, but also was prepared to have like, to look for things too, yeah. which I think was great. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, all I did was give you like a general synopsis of like what's going on mm-hmm. in the film. And I didn't even discuss like any of the themes and stuff yeah. that we had discovered. So let's, let's dig into, I want to talk specifically about each character and the themes that are connected to them. Okay. Cause the, the couple, the, the young couple, their themes intertwine a little bit but their backgrounds are completely different um the female character is more so her family doesn't understand her and through that misunderstanding she feels as though she's an outcast and doesn't because for the most part it seems like this young girl is just she's an avid reader she likes to be alone for the most part she doesn't really understand most of what's going on around her and then she sees certain things going on between her parents knows that there are issues there but doesn't know how to like express them right and one of the things i will use for every single child character like that is portraying a child and most of these kids i would argue like 12 13 years old right yeah like the ones that are and especially our two main main characters i guess would be the best play to put like they're 12 13 in there Mm -hmm. you one of the things I don't want to like skip over is like, you would be surprised even though you touched it really good. Like she doesn't know how to particularly deal with what she is seeing. It doesn't mean that she doesn't know. And as a child therapist, somebody that's worked with children for a long time. And specifically I work with children under the age of 18. Um, Kids know more than what we give them credit for. Like they are very smart. Yeah. And they don't always know how to express that because you are a parental figure to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's dealing with what her parents are doing. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that her parents are not getting along. Mm-mm. She realizes that, like, her parents sleep in separate beds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me personally, like, sleeping in separate beds, my parents slept in separate beds for a okay portion of my life it was about when my sister went to college and there wasn't anything more to it than my dad snored like a freight train and my mom (laughs) wanted sleep right but for this is a storytelling um perspective of no these characters are like because my mom and dad would sleep in separate rooms so that my dad's snoring couldn't keep her up all night Mm -hmm. These characters are sleeping in the same room. They are in like, separate beds, and but like, like inches, inches apart. Yeah. yeah, like they could be in the same. Like they're practically sleeping in two twin beds from a distance from each other. That could be the same as like them sleeping in a queen. Yeah, and you're so close to each other, but is that visual representation of we don't want to be near each other, but we're gonna for the kids' sake Put pretend a, like. Yep. We are okay. But they, again, they they're know not. they're not okay. And like you see that, that visual representation several times throughout the movie. The only time you really see these two parents together is in different scenes looking for the children. Mm-hmm. Outside of like you go into their home, they very, very rarely interact with each other. Like the opening sequence as we're being introduced to the girl's family, because that's the first sequence you get. Mm-hmm is um just he is in a different room she is in a different room she he moves to a room she's not in the same room Mm -hmm. and even when it comes to like dinner time like they very sparsely interact with each other she's going around using a bullhorn by the way to be like time for dinner and i'm like okay (laughs) well on first glance you're kind of like i guess she's using the bull because it's a big it's, house. It's a big house. It's a um, it's a house built into a lighthouse because it's an island and mm-hmm. they live within the lighthouse. And uh, there are four children: the daughter and 
It looks like three triplet boys, probably. Well, if it's three triplet boys, that's nine. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Three boys that are triplets. triplets. Thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, Happy to help. So, that that was kind of, because I hadn't watched this movie since college, and I forgot a lot of the details behind it, which is why I want to discuss, like, the things behind it. Because, like, I've forgotten a lot of details. I've forgotten that the boy was an orphan, Mm -hmm. which makes me feel stupid because I know what happens in the end. I know that the boy goes home with somebody. I'm like, if he's going home with somebody, he's got to be like an orphan or something. But like, it didn't click with me. I was like, oh yeah, this kid is an orphan. He was in a group home for a little bit, a group home for boys. And then was taken in with a foster family. Mm -hmm. And then due to a series of events, which... You know, I think we've alluded to it as like this this boy and this girl, they decide to run away together. Mm-hmm. And due to those events, you, it's kind of you start to see with the boy character as a good jumping point for him mm-hmm. is that he is labeled emotionally disturbed. Mm-hmm. And the boy, it, he is an orphan. His parents had died. And that is what put him into social services, the foster care system to begin with. So he was previously in this group home and then had gone into this foster family. Um, and he had been to Camp Ivanhoe, which is your khaki Boy Scout troop. Yeah. Um, he had been going there for a couple of years. And how he meets the girl is through a series of pen pal letters. Yeah. And so that's how they orchestrate running away together over the course of a year. And I, I feel like that's safe. That's not spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you go and you see this discourse between the girl and the boy, you get glimpses into their life as to why they are how they are. Like you see the girl, like not getting along with people in school and, you know, being very quiet, being very withdrawn. Um, You see the boy, like same way, being very quiet, being very withdrawn, but both are like very reactive when you do bother them. And so that is very indicative of like trauma coming from, (laughs) coming from my experience. Um, And so with the boy and you and I both even worked with, foster kids older mm-hmm. older foster kids yeah. well you me specifically foster, older foster kids you've had all of them yeah all ages you've had a wide range um and so you see like the environment that the girl and the boy are in and you and i have done this for a while we're like yeah it makes sense why they act the way they do oh, yeah. but in 1965 they're emotionally disturbed yeah and we we do get touches here and there that um, Tilda Swinton plays someone that works with social services, and they gave them a bad rap, man. Oh, I, I have. I, this isn't spoiler territory. Uh, <laughs> but they did social services dirty. They did social services dirty. And I'll get to there in a minute. I'm being nice. I'm going to be nice. Um there was this discourse where they are in contact with social services because the boy's missing and they, mm-hmm. they find out, you know, he is an orphan. You get the backstory. So they call social services and be like, Hey, help. And they talk about the girl as well. And they, there's a, a discourse where they're like, the boy needs help and the girl needs help too. And she just flat out, she's like, well, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ma'am, <laughs> actually it is. <laughs> In modern day times, I don't know what it was like in 1965, but because I wasn't there. But I'm also out here like, actually, it is kind of your job if these kids are a danger to others. It is your job. Yeah. And Mm. for the most part, in reality, because he's in the Khaki Scouts and there are other boys involved. There's a large group of boys Mm -hmm. involved. And for the most part. The only children, like you get glimpses of other uh, young girls through a um, through a flashback of how the two kids meet. But for the most part, you have the young boy, young girl, and then a group of young men that are part of the khaki scouts with the young man. And they're also out there like trying to help find him. Well, they try, at the beginning, it's more of a manhunt for them. Mm-hmm. Like they aren't really close with this kid for the most part. And there's one kid that's kind of like the leader of the group that really has like a bone to pick with this kid just Mm -hmm. because he's different, Mm -hmm. which happens 
Quite often. Often. And so you have um, this one kid spearheading and then due to like peer pressure, that mm-hmm. social connection, wanting to fit in. Hey, so this kid doesn't like this kid. Do I want to be on the winning side or I want to yeah. be on like the losing side? So do I want to be with the kid I know or do I want to be with the kid that I'm like, I don't really know you. You they, you already have this bad rep of being yep. emotionally disturbed. And so you could see like how polarizing it is. Because uh, later on in the movie, um, the spearhead ringleader does get kind of like dispatched and removed from the movie for a little bit. And as soon as he's removed from the movie, the entire dynamic of the young boy group shifts towards the favor of this couple. Right. And that's where I have like in all caps at one point, again, going back to like how kids understand more than what we give them credit for. It's like all in caps, kids get it. The troop is here. They're to the rescue. And they were like, yeah, he's emotionally disturbed, but look, his parents aren't here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, let's go. How hard is that if a yeah. 12-year-old can grasp that concept? We as adults can grab that mm-hmm. concept, too. And I'm going to get on my soapbox. Um, but it just made me like, kids get it. Like, yeah. this happened to this person. And if I could put myself in their shoes, I would get it. I talk yeah. a lot with my hands. Sorry. I don't know yeah. if you hear me clicking and clacking. Um, but, yeah, getting back to it. Sorry. No, I got no. real heated and passionate about yeah, that. Yeah, she, she was hitting the desk for a little bit. There, Ooh, so, I didn't so I'm like, sorry, I talk with my hands a lot. My bad. Um, but getting back to it, these kids, they immediately realize that, like... We messed up. We messed up because... We, they, we actually like this kid. Well, they like him, but they also see, like, we outcast this kid for no reason and he ends up finding somebody that he can connect with and we crucify him for it mm-hmm. and they're like no nah, this kid's got a girl like and look as a 12 13 year old boy having a girlfriend's a big deal having a girlfriend's a big deal having a wife is a big deal. having a boy <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yeah that too i'll just i'll throw that out there it, yeah it's it's just a funny thing in the movie. It is, but, like, they they run with it. Um, and so, like, they see, like, he's got tenacity. Like, he was he was brave, and he went to go do the thing, and all he wants to do is be with this person that gets him. Yeah, and it really, I think Wes does a really good job of showcasing that, like, these two characters, he shows the first time they meet, right? Yep. And it's a small island, but the two kids don't interact with each other like face to face physically all that much, but they, they become pen pals and they're writing to each other every day. And she has stacks. Like she has yep. an entire shoebox full it of letters. It says private. Yeah. Also like, red flag. If your parents are out there reading things that are private and getting into your stuff and there's going to be some adults out there, they're going to disagree with me. I understand that. Is red flag. It's red flag. Um, but the only reason they find that private box is because they're searching for and they're trying to search for any clues and that's how they end up finding out. The and two, that's two why I'm like, in this situation, I get it. Yeah. But I, I've also been very avid about parents who go through phones, parents who go oh, through yeah. personal diaries. Because that, that's the equal equivalent of like, these letters would be like going through text messages or emails right. and stuff like that the modern day, which is how you find people that are missing. Right. And I'm here for that, but it's also like how hard is it to have a conversation with your kid to be present and open with your kid of like, Hey, I'm concerned for your safety. Can you tell me what's going Mm -hmm. on? And like you forcing your way into that privacy, forcing your way into that is going to alienate the kid further. Oh yeah. Because there, there is a scene later. Like there's way, there's ways to go about it that involve like involve involve like open communication and like for that like if you're telling the kid like hey like you messed up i can't i can't trust you because you did do this and you explain it to them i i want to check your phone maybe every three four months make sure you're okay tell them what's up like it's it's about having open communication but just to pull your parent card to let me get into your privacy just because i didn't like how you were doing something maybe take a step back yeah and then, you know what, y'all can write me angry letters. Y'all don't know where I am, so ha. <laughs> um, yeah, so going back to what I was going to say is th- there's a scene in the movie later on when the they do eventually find the two kids. 
Um, and there's a scene between the mother and the daughter. Um, the mother's bathing the daughter because she's been out in the wilderness for a couple of days now. And they're having this very intimate conversation of like, I understand where you're coming from. I understand you're going through a lot and you know, you don't really know how to express it to us, but we're always here to talk. And she's like, what are you talking about? I know of all these lies you're keeping. That's where I'm again. I'm like, kids know. It's like, you can't come to me about hiding stuff from you when you've been hiding stuff from the entire family for Mm -hmm. years. And I even have like just a, a little bit of a note because it's also hinted that the the mom is not kind to the husband either. Mm-mm. It's it's very much it doesn't outright say it, but like there's bruising on the husband and you know oh he fell in a ditch. Yeah, that's that's interesting how you have you know a black guy from falling into a ditch. Um, so there is like hints of domestic abuse in this yeah and and there's definitely like emotional abuse all sorts of that too but one of the things i have wrote because she's like in there just berating her daughter and doing these things and she flips it on herself like the mom's like trying to like find this even ground and she flips it on to like ah whenever i was your age and like mm-hmm. I, I understand and you know and i'm like this this could potentially be narcissism coming from yeah. the mom well and here's the thing. So immediately after that conversation, you have the father, the mother, and the daughter each do three separate three separate things. Mm-hmm. The father immediately grabs a bottle of alcohol, grabs an axe, exactly. and starts chopping wood. He's like, tells his, tells his three boys who just are probably, I don't know, eight, nine years old, yeah. very young, and they see him with this axe and this alcohol and his pajama pants, no yeah. shirt on, like, <laughs> if you need me, I'm out back. Yep. And he's just out there, like, just, and you see a good chunk of this tree. Oh, yeah. Like, he passes out from his jaw, like, just. Just yeah. doing it. And then mom goes on her bike. She sneaks off. She goes on her rendezvous. And the daughter's like, what, what, Well, what? the daughter also sneaks out, because, like, you see the father outside, mm-hmm. who's luckily passed out at this point, because he's not seeing his wife leave the house, sneak mm-hmm. off. He's not seeing his daughter sneak off. Being, being like accompanied by this troop of boys. Oh, yeah. Cause yeah. they're the ones that are like, Hey, we got you girl. Um, so it's like, so what did we learn? Like going from that conversation with the mom in the bathtub, it just goes to show you, you learn can, nothing. You learn nothing. And like what you do, like your kids pick up on, mm-hmm. like they know. Yeah. You've, Congratulations, you found your daughter, but she immediately left the house like two hours later. Right. Congratulations. Like. Because nothing was solved by it. Like, no. yes, you found your daughter, but. You also, like, manhandled her. Yeah. By the way, when you found her, like, you, you, you grabbed, she, they grabbed her ass up. Like, yeah. that mama was like. And there is symbolism in there from, like, the father and the mother find them. The father storms off from seeing the two kids. Mm-hmm. The mother grabs the daughter and immediately covers her up and it just takes her away. Like, just. But the scoutmaster and the police officer are kind of these parental figures for the young boy because he doesn't have parents. Mm-hmm. And you start realizing the connection that the scoutmaster had already had with the young boy. And he's trying to understand, like, where did I go wrong? What mm-hmm. did I do when it's not really like you didn't do anything wrong, man. It's just you're one person with an entire troop of boys. Mm-hmm. You can't really. And I think too, and it's not directly stated, but I do think this, this troop master feels remorse because he has this thing where he like talks to himself as a captain's log is what happened this yeah. day. And he was like, he, I can, he understands like why he did it and how he's actually very impressed by his scout skills and is like I hope he doesn't die I hope we find him so I think it's just remorse that he he let somebody down because he understood Mm -hmm. he was a role model he was he there was these expectations of him he understood that and failed yeah and like he feels like maybe I should have gotten to know this kid better maybe I should have been more involved and and the police officer played by Bruce Willis also 
he doesn't have an immediate connection with this kid because honestly he doesn't know the kid prior to this experience. But as it goes on, like you see him grow very fond of this kid yeah. and what and talking about what social services is going to do when they find him. Like, he was he, like, he doesn't he doesn't deserve that. No, and I think he sees a lot of himself in that kid. Yep, I agree. Because they have a really you have the intimate scene between the mother and the daughter that goes completely haywire. Doesn't like it's supposed to be like and it is. It is a very emotional scene. It's very emotionally driven because the mother is trying. She doesn't really know how to progress because you find out um, the parents are reading a book on having a troubled child. Mm-hmm. How to cope? How to and, cope with your troubled child? Yeah, and, and the that, daughter finds mm, it. Mm, mm, even yeah. that in of itself just shows me like. How to cope with your troubled child instead of how to help your troubled child. It sounds, and again, we don't see this book. We don't read this book. I don't want to read this book because the immediate thing I thought of was like, oh, this is a guide to how you cope with your child, like how the parents would cope. And yes, it is important to help parents build those skills. But I also know this is 1965 and we hadn't gotten there yet. And so I'm like, oh, this is just you learning how to deal with yourself. You're not actually helping your child. I don't know if that's the case or not, but that was my takeaway from it. Going back to what I was going to say is, uh, so the mother and daughter, that that conversation is very much so, I'm your parental figure trying to be a parental figure. The conversation between the young boy and the police officer is much more, he, he, it, it's like on an equal playing field. Yes, it is. Like you meet, like and one of the things too that I've been taught, like I've been taught this from my supervision up until like, my licensure, all this other stuff. You get on their level. Mm-hmm. You get on their level. Yeah. You meet people where they're at. Yeah. And the it, this the I'm waving my hands again. Sorry, I'm trying to keep them from the desk. Um, <laughs> I'm to sit on my hands. But the the discourse between the police officer and the young boy is: I see you. I understand why you did it. I, I get it and I can and I don't really put my put a whole lot of myself out there like mm-hmm. I'm not telling you like when I was your age it was duh, 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 duh. Yeah. it's I can understand where you're coming from I still feel that way today yeah like it's it just it was very well done yeah and I want to I want to mention this because and also it, the maturity of the children in and of yeah, itself I, w- I want to mention this because it shows that Wes understands and has a mastery of the message he's trying to get. Because the conversation between the mother and the daughter, the daughter's in the bathtub with her back to her mother. The mother is standing above the daughter. Mm-hmm. You have that visual representation of I'm above you. Power. There, Power disruption. Like, there is no eye contact throughout that entire scene. Nope. They make no face-to-face eye contact with each other. And then you have the comparison with the boy and the police officer who are looking at each other at a table, face-to-face, even ground. And, like, another visual representation, I understand the kid's 13 years old, but, like, the police officer hands him a drink, hands him... Like, maybe, like, like this tiny, yeah, just like, the tiniest, tiniest bit of, of like, scotch. Yeah. Like, he's he's having himself a drink, and he's like, you want some? He's like, sure, man. But also... And, like, it's on an even, like, it's he, even. he wants that visual representation of how two separate situations with children that are both dealing with stuff, both quotations troubled... Mm-hmm. And how an adult figure can handle those situations, both incorrectly and correctly. Now, is it perfect? No. In either way? No. But is a clear visual representation of like... And I, I truly believe, so they find the kids, but they do end up leaving again because the Boy Scouts realize that they want to try and help this couple. Mm-hmm. Complete the goal that they had at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. of just being together and just being able to whisk off away and just be alone. Mm-hmm. So they escape again. The girl immediately like goes off with the boys. But when the boys come and find the young man um, at the police officer's boathouse, I firmly believe that after that conversation, if the boys and his young girlfriend didn't come find him, he would have been perfectly content staying there with the police officer. Well, 
yeah, so at that time we're not sure what's going what's going to happen next. Yeah. If it were to stay stationary like that, what would have happened would have I think been social services would have came and got him and he would have gone back to this orphanage. And then one of the things that it talks about is like potentially going through electroshock therapy. Yeah. Which well, was it's not an orphanage. She's going to like 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 a juvenile DJJ Department like, of Juvenile Justice kind of thing. Yeah. It was um yeah, it was like what was it? They Juvenile rehabilitation, yeah, juvenile or something rehabilitation, like that, yeah. which is just like juvie, mm-hmm. and like, just because this kid has issues, yeah, which in today's time would have probably been like a psych, a psychiatric residential treatment, probably, yeah, would would be our time of it. But if he were to stay in the boathouse, I think that's what would have happened. Like we needed the events after that to really have the person who comes in and takes the boy home to really cement that relationship. Yeah. I think, and, like, story-wise, we would have needed that. And I, I think the story does a really good job because you spend a lot of time with these two kids. And Wes does an amazing job of giving you these two characters and then building a cast around them mm-hmm. to work in different situations to kind of get an understanding because this film gives a lot for people to just think through and you can kind of tell with Dakota, she's been going on and on and on. I'm very passionate. (laughs) It's one of those things like I knew going into this film, just with mine and Dakota's background, like I'll have a lot to say, but I know Dakota has a plethora. She wants to get on Mm. with this movie because Mm -hmm. the messages that are given to you and the themes between the characters, like, we talked about in Crazy Stupid Love last week how we have extremely flawed characters. Mm-hmm. And you don't see flawed characters get to a resolution and kind of learn from their mistakes very often. You, I, but then we go right into another movie where like you see these extremely flawed characters. Mm-hmm. And the resolution's not perfect, but like you can see where these flawed characters want to change their behaviors. Mm-hmm. Even with like characters like Bill Murray's character, the dad, he doesn't. You don't get a whole lot other than like he's just an angry father. He doesn't really have any other emotion than I'm angry for the most part in the movie. And then you get to a certain scene and you're like, he's angry because he knows he's not doing the best he can and he doesn't know how to. Uh huh. And it's really funny how his daughter mirrors that and one of the things that i highlighted it from is like oh well my kid is emotionally troubled hey look where you get it from Mm -hmm. and so one of the interactions between the two children is the boy asks the girl like are you depressed and she's like yeah and so like this too like the dad like both father and potentially mother also just like screamed like major depressive Mm -hmm as well and you don't get a big thing into it but um yeah like if you're major depressive there's a good chance your child's going to be major depressive as well and so father potentially having depression the girl openly admitting she is depressed and looking for this escapism through these pen pals these books she's reading these feelings and lack thereof you know it mirrors a lot and that was one of the themes too. And like mental health is prevalent in most things if you can look for it. This one definitely is like one of the big major themes. And so I won't spend any more time talking about that till much later, like some of the things I noticed. But you talking about like the dad, like mm-hmm. reminded me of that point of like, hey, most likely your daughter potentially genetically inherited this from you. And they're in that scene where the father is kind of explaining his point of view and like why he's angry all the time, why he feels like he's a failure. And he outright, he admits he knows what's going on in the marriage Mm -hmm. with his wife. And he almost gives up and says like, Hey, maybe this is for the best. I know I'm not a good father and maybe I should just let this happen and me just go. Mm -hmm. Cause remember we have this big storm happening too, while all this is happening and it's this this particular scene where he's talking with the mother and he's like, you know, 
what if I just get sucked up by this tor- like this hurricane? Yeah. And the mom turns to him and is like, it's because we all, we're all the kids have. Mm-hmm. And so you could see, I don't know if, the, we don't ever really see if that's like, that's grounding for him or helpful for him or not. I think it is because going from that scene forward, mm-hmm. he seems a little more focused, grounded, and because it does kind of fast forward a little bit mm-hmm. to the climax. And you have, you do have this very extravagant scene with the, uh, the boys going to what would pretty much be like a jamboree in the Boy Scouts, where it's a bunch of different Boy Scout troops all meeting together. And that's where they meet uh, Jason Schwartzman's character. I, who, I, I loved his character. Cousin Ben. Like, Cousin it's ben just very good. ambiguous. <laughs> just like this, like, real shady, like, if you ain't got the money, I can't do it for you, kid. <laughs> and he seems to have, like, every kind of, like, job affiliation known possible. Like, he, yeah. like, it's just funny because I It's I like, you need a boat? Like, I could get you a boat. You want to get married? Yeah. I could get you married. I was about to say that. I made you the want joke to, you like, want to smuggle? I could smuggle. I made the joke For the right price. <laughs> I made the joke earlier of like, a wife is a big deal when you're 13. Like, the two kids, like, try to get married and get an artificial wedding. And they, from cousin Ben. That was that that scene particularly was probably like my favorite scene because yeah. <laughs> they're all like, you know, this isn't legally binding. He says it straight up; it's not legally binding. But I get this is a thing, and I could see you guys. Y'all are y'all are y'all are serious about this. At one point, he's like, "Go to the trampoline and go it's talk it out." Up. And then they were like, "You see this? Tra- you see that to the side? This one kid just jumping on the trampoline, yeah. and you see the two of them having this very logical discourse. And again, both these characters are so deadpan mm-hmm. and logical for thirteen-year-olds. Thirteen <laughs> and I'm just like, and they're like, "No, we're sure." And so they have this this faux ceremony, and then they walk away, and they they try to go to this boat to further, you know, yeah. get get away from everything. But yeah, cousin Ben can do it all for seventy seven dollars worth of nickels. Yeah, in a <laughs> in a Pringles, in a Pringles can. Um, so we're kind of getting closer to the end of the podcast. I want to really kind of go into a small deep dive of like. What what made you fall in love with this movie together? Because for me, I can go into like this is my second watching. Mm-hmm. Already knew I really liked this movie. It's in my top three. Wes Anderson's mm-hmm. easy. Um, and there, are, there, the thing I like about it the most is like there are some things that make you uncomfortable in this film. Um, the, there are scenes between characters that like. The scene between the mom and the dad when they're having the conversation in the bedroom, like that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like there are uncomfortable scenes between characters, but you also get characters, like I said earlier, you have the two main characters of the small kids in the relationship, mm-hmm. but you have the scoutmaster that's building off that relationship. You have the police officer building off that relationship. You have the parents building off that relationship. And you see characters change. You see entire groups of characters change their mindset and perspective on what's going on, it, the more information you get, and the further you understand that these characters are not bad characters. They just have problems that they don't know how to deal with. And I love that part of the movie where it, it feels real. Yes. This is very... Everything that this movie showed is something that happens in real life, period. And one of the themes about therapy in general, and I'm a very, I'm a very solution focused therapist. Um, One of my flaws is probably I'm too blunt. (laughs) I distinctly remember like you being like, Dakota, that was a little direct. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, But I, I can present it better than when you and I first became friends. Um, But one of the things from a therapeutic aspect is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. If something mm-hmm. makes you uncomfortable, ask yourself, why? Yeah. Why does it make you uncomfortable? And so some of the themes that we see throughout this is domestic abuse. We see, you know, problems with social services, the police. We see child, like we see coming of age and, you know, the, the hormones that come with it and like, you know, sexuality, 
um, not so much sexuality, uh, well, yes, sexuality, but like that children can have sexual desires Mm -hmm. and developmentally speaking, like they showed that very well. There is nothing that is like graphic. It is all very PG, but you see these two children embrace Mm-hmm. And it's for maybe about like five minutes of the movie, not even that. But not for some, that. for some, like there's gonna be people who are like, "Yo, whoa, that's inappropriate." Actually, developmentally speaking, it is appropriate. Yeah. There's consent involved. Like yeah. well, that, that, I, I know adult humans that don't yeah. even know about consent. Yeah, there, there's a scene where uh, the two kids they've found the place where they wanted to go, and now they're really getting to know each other both like emotionally physically mentally like they're starting to understand each other and like really like experiment Mm -hmm. but it's done in a very tame way like they're dancing and they're dancing in their underwear and the young kid the young boy's like can i touch your boob but it's like over the bra and it's just like it's (laughs) very in their prepubescent it's kind of a funny scene because like there's nothing really going on he literally just puts his hand on her chest right like it's visible for everyone to see and like you see the boys talk about it as like he didn't do anything he just like felt her up and they're like that's when they're like you know oh hey like why did we do this to this kid and that was their whole thing Mm. um but like it it does handle that topic very very well because like 12 13 your body is changing those hormones are coming along i remember being like 12 13 i was like i want somebody to hold my hand i don't really know why but i really want somebody to hold my hand because that looks cute and that looks like that would feel good um but like it it talks about like those like those desires and that can make people incredibly uncomfortable especially they don't understand things from a developmental aspect Mm -hmm. Um, They, they see two young kids trying to but nothing trying to be adults and here's the thing it's not even trying these kids are flat out adults and you can't tell me any different you can't you cannot tell me um there's at least one part where i had wrote like checking my notes here is like oh gosh where is it anyway i can't remember like oh yeah these are children like the two main characters like verbally like verbatim when I'm going from my notes here these are children I talk to like mm-hmm. in my everyday in 2023 yeah <laughs> these are children I talk to yeah. I have had adult like there's like I've had 12 year olds I've had nine-year-olds you name it like even my co-workers tell me about where they've had these conversations and we can see that like my coworker was telling me the other day, like she has a nine-year-old client. That nine-year-old client has been a mother and a caretaker to her little brother since she was five mm-hmm. because her parents were drugged up and she knew they were drugged up. That five-year-old made breakfast, fed her brother, made sure he was changed, made sure she was good. Nine years old, a whole mom. And if that doesn't make you mad, it should. <laughs> and so that's, it's something that you see here. These are 12, 13 year old kids that don't have adult presence in their life because one they've passed away yeah. and he's been in like in in the social ground and um social services things like that you have this thir- like 12 13 year old girl who has a very dysfunctional family and has no role model to really base anything off of like there's the adult presence but that doesn't the mean... presence isn't there for them to meet their needs no like these kids have problems these kids have issues that they need adult supervision for Mm -hmm. and they need not just adult when i say adult supervision i don't mean like eyes on them under like true understanding of what's going on they need they they need an emotionally available person yes and and a role model and the parents are not emotionally available because they're going through their own stuff and they don't well it's that they're going through their own stuff but they don't they can't get their heads out of their asses. They can't figure out how to move forward out of their own stuff. Yep. They can't figure out how to move forward and just be okay with where they're at and understand that things aren't perfect where they are. Mm-hmm. But instead of trying to make things better, they, they alienate s- they alienate each other and they get physical with each other, which is not shown visually, but like it's implied. Applied context clues, like, you get 
nobody one of the things too is like we don't talk about the accountability no like and nobody wants to take accountability like we nobody really ultimately wants to come and be like hey i messed up that's hard it's uncomfortable well in the parents yes but the scoutmaster does own up to yes like, he owns up we, to everything we see that, that with happened. those we see that with like the scoutmaster and even the police officer yeah. too but the parents too like they they don't like the parents don't take accountability like no it's kind of shown they still continue doing what they're doing. And it, uh, I love that he has made this contrast of how a character that in the environment that he's put in, we're talking about the young boy in the environment that he's put in, it's almost expected for him to have this trauma, to have this like misunderstanding behind him, to have these issues. Like he has no parents. He's an orphan. You almost expect him to have this. Right. And then you have this entire other character who you're like, oh, she's... She's got a family. She's got a family. Her parents are lawyers. Mm -hmm. They're in a very nice house. You'd think she'd be well off and well to do. Nope. But they make that connection with each other because they're both damaged. Yep. And they, they actually have this discourse too. Like this little boy just straight up is like, are you depressed to this girl? And she's like, yeah. And they actually talk about mm-hmm. their background and their family. And they actually get into an argument about it because she's like, I sometimes wonder what it would be like to not have okay. parents. And he was like, you don't know what you're talking about. And so you could see there, there and in and of itself is, and my only concern with this relationship too is it's, it's trauma. It's trauma on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called the ACE questionnaire. It's the ad- adverse childhood experience things. Look it up. There's 12 questions. Um, you'd be surprised. It talks about different types of traumas that you can experience in your childhood. Like, did you have a parent that used substance abuse? Did your parents separate? Did anybody like emotionally berate you? Look it up. Um, both of these kids have experienced trauma. And in a way, this mirrors trauma bonding, which is not healthy. No. It is not healthy. It's not the healthiest form, but look at where they came from. And this other person understands me, understands that pain. They get me. So as we close out, I want to talk about, I think this movie, for the most part, I think this movie ends in a very kind of, like it It ties the bow together and creates a nice package where like all these characters are kind of left off in a better place before the movie started. I'd agree with that. And... I want to talk about certain small scenes that we really enjoyed. Um, like one of the scenes that I thought was really funny, but also just kind of like super endearing was the earring scene. And I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really like, it's it, just, it, a, it's, it comes up several times in the movie yeah. after that, but it and, is, it's, it shows a intimacy. Yeah. And one of my other favorite scenes is almost anytime Edward Norton's on, screen i i love everything he's doing in the entire movie the scene where he's talking to the young man um after they find him the first time like that scene is good like that scene is really because you have scenes in the movie where the adults are having conversations with the kids but this scene is way more on a level of understanding the situation like this adult is taking ownership of where he went wrong and like and the make that too is like one thing i think is super important is that they show the young man crying Mm -hmm. you see a male cry that's a big deal and even though this movie it feels real and we mentioned how like real some of the messages and the themes are behind it it does have like fantastical elements behind it yes like, there, there are moments in the scene, like, I don't want to spoil it, but, like, there's a scene that you watch and you're like, is that child dead? Yeah, yeah, like, just straight up. And, like, that was another one with the, in all caps at the bottom here. I think one of my favorite scenes is whenever the girl is reading to... Oh, the boys? To the boys. Yeah. Because, again, it's, it's alluded, like, she loves these books and all these other things and she has quote unquote pretty much stolen them from the library <laughs> which causes some discourse with our uh, morally <laughs> our upstanding scout man uh, yeah. our it's little boy scout he's like you stole them she's like i might return them one day but anytime that she is reading like the first time you see he's fallen asleep he feels safe 
somebody read him a story and he felt safe and she looks at him and she continues reading out loud. Yeah. And then in other scenes, it happens, I think two more times yeah. they're like, no, go on, continue. We're listening. Yeah. We're with you. And she gets to express like this very deep part of herself with people that genuinely want to be around it yeah. and find her very endearing. And I, I, being a book nerd myself, like that one struck home for me. Like for a moment there, I put myself in that place and I was like, yeah. I was that little girl for a little bit. Um, I, I definitely think, cause this is my second time watching and it's been easily a decade since I've watched it and watching a second time, I caught on to more things as I watched it. Um, cause I, I have that pre preexisting knowledge of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of understand like, and then for me, it was more so looking at details that are given early on because that's what I do when I watch movies multiple times. I look at the details given early on the movie that correlate to things going further into the movie, like different reveals that happen, especially when we did Crazy Stupid Love. That was a good one to be like, there are things that happen early on the movie that you glance over Mm -hmm. and then you find out later on like they have meaning. Um, And this movie doesn't have a whole lot of that, but the messages behind it and the things behind it and the characters that are presented, I think Wes just did an amazing job. He, he co-wrote this. Like uh, he, he had a big part of yeah, the writing he, process. Yeah, he, yeah. And he usually always does. He He's usually always either one of the writers or like in the writing process for most of his movies. He's only. Dude knows what he's about. Well, he's only done adaptations. Most of his movies are original movies, original concepts. And I think the only the only adaptation I know of is Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a Roald Dahl uh, mm-hmm. book. Um, there may be others, but for the most part, he does original films, which also you don't see very often. No. But as we close in, I want to just... It is obviously a high recommendation for me because I recommended it to you right. for this podcast. Where do you feel in this movie? This movie has been my favorite one to watch and it covers everything from, like I said, all the other topics I talked about earlier, um, problems with systematic organizations, um, mental health, coming of age, topics like that. You get this in 94 minutes. It is like an hour and a half. It is a very easy watch. Um, You don't have trouble following the story. I adored this movie and this one I have no problem giving like a 10 out of 10. And that's a first watch experience. If I were to go back and rewatch it, probably would feel about the same. I strongly recommend this movie, not even from like a therapeutic aspect, like I would with other things like understanding certain topics, but this, it's just very real. Mm -hmm. It's a very real movie. And even though it's set in 1965, coming to 2023, these lessons are still important. Yeah. And I know we talked a lot about a lot of very heavy Handed topics today dealing with this movie but overall this movie in general i think is just an enjoyable watch like yes the cinematography is beautiful it's a very pretty movie to look at yes and there are things in this movie like it's very funny at times yes it i think the way it was but it was like a coming of age comedy mm-hmm. is how it was written in like like the wikipedia entry mm-hmm. so even though it takes these heavy topics it doesn't feel heavy yeah. You can outright just be like, yo, yeah, that's a problem. And then you get to go on and you do get to see this nice bow at the end. Yeah. You can go into this movie and it depends on your level of commitment. You can commit to the messages given or you can just go in, enjoy the visuals Mm -hmm. and just laugh at the jokes. Because like I said, it's It's a very very funny funny movie. Very funny movie. Bruce Willis has a lot of funny jokes. Bill Murray's obviously a very funny person, has a lot of funny jokes. Mm-hmm. The, though, just the deadpan of these kids being yeah. like, that to me was very humorous. Yeah. So you gave it a 10 out of 10. I gave it a 10 out of 10. I, uh, I cannot express how much I love this movie. Yeah, I, I love it too. It's easily. I, I have certain directors that I collect for and really enjoy and I actually I'll have to bring this next time my sister gave me I almost completely forgot about it I don't know where it is right now it is somewhere in the house it is a book dedicated to all of Wes Anderson's movies and like the visual art behind them mm-hmm. I'll have to bring that and let you see it sometime I'll yeah. have to find it first because I have no idea where it's at 
I just know it exists. But yeah, Wes Anderson, this film, 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It was a good time. Recommended first watch, second watch, whatever watch you want to do with it. Yeah. So what are we doing next week, Matt? So next week we are officially starting our first themed month. Uh, we want to try and do not every other month, but like every so often, do a themed month behind a certain actor or a certain category. Like for Christmas, we'll probably do some Christmas movies. Uh, but for spoopy season. Spoopy! It is September 1st as of recording this. And it is already, like I've got my Mothman shirt. I am ready to go for yeah. the spoopy season. I love yeah. fall. I'm ready to go. I, I'm one of those people that don't put up their Christmas trees early or anything like that. But I'm one of those people that will go hardcore for Halloween and fall and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we, we planned this out. We didn't want to outright do um, scary movies or Halloween movies in particular. But Dakota, when I brought this podcast to her, she really wanted to do a Tim Curry month. I firmly believe that your personality is affected by whatever Tim Curry movie you were exposed to. So to kind of give you an idea of what we're doing for Tim Curry month, we already have all the movies lined up for each week. The first week and next week we are doing Clue, which you can find on Paramount+. Plus. And then we are doing Stephen King's It, where he plays Pennywise. Mm-hmm. And then we are doing Ridley Scott's Legend, where he plays Satan, mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, it's not, he's not called Satan, but. It's he's Satan. He, yeah. And it has Tom Cruise in it. Neither of us have actually watched that movie, so I'm excited to. I've watched every movie except Legend mm-hmm. for Tim Curry Month, so I'm really excited. And then after Legend. After Legend, we're watching Rocky Horror Picture because you can't. No, because that, that puts it around Halloween for us. Mm-hmm. And like that is it's like everything I, I think Tim Curry is in is a cult classic period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just me. So I'm very excited for Tim Curry Month. It's going to be a good time. And uh, before we go, where can they find Moonrise Kingdom? So Moonrise Kingdom, unfortunately, you can't find it on any of the streaming services. Uh, you, you can, can rent it on like Voodoo, Movies Anywhere, Apple TV, anything like that. But your best bet is to either rent it digitally or try to find it physically. Um, but outside of that, we're going to go ahead and close this episode off. Moonrise Kingdom. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Next week, we're doing Clue to start off Curry Month. And we hope that you join us because I've got a movie to watch. And I hope you join us to watch it. Till next time. Bye.